Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations, including all the topics you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Sheena Yap Chan. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our guest today. In addition to serving as a logistics readiness officer in the United States Air Force for 10 years, she's also involved in analyzing data, trends, and barriers to identify and address issues impacting AANHPI personnel in the Air Force. Born and raised in the Philippines, Joanne is a staunch advocate for diversity and inclusion and promoting AANHPI heritage across various platforms. I'd like to welcome Joanne Whitlock. Hey, Joanne, welcome to the show. First off, I would like to know, how did you land or get into the Air Force, right? It's not something that's very typical, especially as an Asian woman. Um, and like you, I'm also born in the Philippines. <laughs> oh, um, hey, Sheena. First of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very honored. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, so I actually got into the Air Force through my family. I have a whole legacy, uh, family legacy of joining the military. My father is a Air Force uh, Vietnam veteran and brother and sister all actually joined and um, followed suit. Nice. Awesome. And um, was that something you wanted to do too, because it was a family legacy or it was like this burning desire that you just wanted to be in the Air Force? It was. So I actually was a crime scene investigator in a prior life. That's what I used to do as a career. And then a couple of years into that, you know, we just had this urge to kind of serve a country that has done so much for myself and my family and I kind of followed the footsteps of my brother and my sister, who followed the footsteps of my father. So we all just kind of went forth. Although I am the first officer in the family, everybody else enlisted in the military. But yeah, it was definitely to follow this family legacy and just kind of pursue this urge that I had to serve the country. I love it. And first off, I want to know a little bit more about the crime scene investigator that you were before. I mean, that's pretty cool. You know, when I think of that, I think of like CSI Miami, CSI Las Vegas. But what was that like? Especially, you know, it's not really a typical career path for an Asian woman, especially like, you know, Filipino culture. It's like you're a nurse, right? Most of the time. Yeah, but yeah, what, 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 what made you decide to get into that? I know I just keep following these paths that are just atypical for Asian females. But um, actually, when I was in high school, I got interested in anatomy and forensics, and I kind of followed that path. And CSI and NCIS probably helped with that. But um, I went to college, and I kind of my bachelor's degree is in biological anthropology, and there was forensic anthropology was one of the courses, um, and I kind of I was really interested in it. Just by, um, and so I continued with that, and then I ended up after college, getting a job in Northern Virginia with the medical examiner's office. And so my actual title was medical legal death investigator. So we worked with detectives and the police departments, went out to crime scenes, went out to, and it was essentially my full scope of the job was to investigate not unnatural deaths. So anything that was not the cause of a natural death. So whether it was drug cases, overdoses, suicides, homicides, car crashes or anything where somebody is dying from unnaturally. We were going out. And so, you know, I did autopsies with pathologists, testified in court, those things. So I did that for a couple of years. Yeah. And then um, ended up, <laughs> and ended up getting a master's afterwards, actually, while I was already in the military in forensic science as well. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, you could be like one of the cast of CSI in in one of those states. But I mean, that's really cool to hear that. And then, you know, you made the switch to to become an, an Air Force officer. What was your experience like, especially being an Asian woman? You know, it's not always 
easy, right, to, you know, enlist in the military or the Air Force. Sometimes you're not taken seriously because you're a woman, even more so a woman of color. But what was your experience like? So when I joined the military 10 years ago, it was pretty evident to me that, you know, there's just not not many representation with minorities and especially Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, you know, um, especially in the officer corps, which makes up just a smaller, even a smaller part of the whole military makeup, you know, mostly like 80% or so above 80% of the entire military are enlisted members and the officer corps make up a smaller piece. And even within that, it's females make up an even smaller smaller percentage and then Asian females for sure is just a small small group and you know in any given meeting or in any given kind of just discussion talking about big issues or topics you know more often than not I'm the only person that looks like myself so you know as that really became more evident to me as time passed and my time in the military it just it be, you know it just kind of fueled this fire in me to you know, make sure that we have that representation and doing what I can to you know represent I love it. I know it's not always easy. I mean, especially for Asian women, you know, we're rarely seen in leadership roles. I mean, there was a there was a survey done by or a report done by Catalyst.org that um, reported the representation of women in color, women of color in management roles, right? And this is based in last year's last year's numbers. So, you know, Caucasian women made up over thirty percent. Black women made up four point four percent. Hispanic women was four point three. And then Asian women was 2.7. So it's it's crazy that we're still dealing with these numbers uh, till this day, right? These very small numbers. And that's why it's important to, you know, have people like you be that trailblazer to go out there and set a path for everyone. Because I believe, you know, they just need to see one person do it and realize what's possible. And so, you know, were there times where you just like felt so frustrated that you couldn't get your message across? Or was it like, you just said, you know what, I'm just going to make it happen regardless of the circumstances. I'm going to speak my voice, whatever ideas I have, I'm going to bring it to the table. Because that, that, I know that's not always easy, especially when you're, you mentioned you're a petite girl, you're a very pretty girl too. So sometimes <laughs> you're not taken seriously, like because of our physical appearance, right? But, you know, what was that drive that just kept, you know, kept you going to push forward and keep moving forward? Yeah. And before actually I answer that question, I want to piggyback on those statistics that you provided because I did bring some. So the Air Force is Air Force and Space Force. We're all together. And actually together, active duty wise, there's 329,000, you know, 476. So let's say 330,000 members completely. Out of that number, there's only 4.7% are Asians and 1.2 are Native Hawaiian and other Pacific Islanders, which is a tiny, tiny, you know, tiny percentage. Um, and so with that, you know, as I did more um, research, like demographics and the makeup of the military, especially with APIs, you know, like you said, it just kind of fueled my fire to really be heard and seen. So as an officer, I'm actually put in a, in a convenient and beneficial spot because officers are the leaders of the military. Um, we're seen as the managers and you know, the leaders of that. And so I leverage that position of mine as I go up the ranks, you know, when I was just a second lieutenant. As soon as I started the military, it was very, I didn't have a whole lot of say, a whole lot of power. But as I moved up the ranks, I definitely leveraged that to be able to use that position to kind of influence. I get, I put myself out there when I can in meetings. You know, I don't, I don't sit back anymore and just kind of let, you know, let the white commanders and the white male commanders say, I'll have all the say. Like I actually started being brave enough to say my piece and let them say no to me. Let them be sure 
put down and, you know, I really took um, the word of, you know, let them say no, or I definitely kind of lived by that as I went through my military career. And yeah, and it, I can see a difference and it helps and it matters. Yeah, it, for sure. Especially, you know, the more you keep speaking up, right? Sometimes, you know, you say something once, nothing happens, right? And that's fine because it's new. You know, they're not used to it. But the more you keep, you know, putting yourself out there, speaking up, sharing your ideas, they're going to start noticing and, you know, start taking you seriously, right? Because it's like, no, she's here for a reason, right? You bring something to the table. There's a reason why you went from rank to rank to rank to rank because you do have something to bring, right? You could be that change that everyone else sees in our community to realize, you know, we can be more than just enlisting, right? We can be an officer because Joanne is that that prime example. And so um, I want to sh- um, ask you a little bit about, you know, the, the work that you do to raise more awareness in the AAI, AAPI community, especially in the Air Force. What um, what what start, what made you start, um, you know, getting more involved in that? I know because of representation, but even like, you know, what was there a deeper reason for that? So in the big picture of things, there is actually an Air Force study that was um, done a few years back about that pretty much showed that African-American um, airmen and service members were getting punished more harshly than their white counterparts. Like that was that study actually was able to prove that. And, um, you know, as DNI became more and more prevalent in just society and communities in general, you know, people started to see that that is definitely not fair treatment across the board, you know, between minorities, between whites, even between the different minorities. So that was becoming more and more of a thing. And as DNI just became more prevalent, the Air Force actually started. The Air Force actually started these. Um, it's called barrier analysis working groups, and each working group represents different demographics. So I'm part of PACT, P-A-C-T, which is the Pacific Islander and Asian American Community Team. Um, and then, you know, there's different ones, like you know, for LGBTQs. There's one for females, Black, African Americans. Um, and so for within PACT, our role is we meet and we discuss and talk about just all the different um, and analyze all the different trends, kind of do research and really deep dive and dig into the reasons why we, our percentages are so low. You know, and it can stem from maybe our percentages are so low because, you know, one of the things that we found was the military culturally is just not an Asian thing, you know, and especially for first generations. Um, families, most parents, most of the um, more conservative parents, they see the military as a thing that, you know, kind of a lower class thing, which we're trying to get away from. You know, most Asian parents, we want you to be doctors, we want you to be nurses, we want, so, you know, so we're really doing the research and deep dive into the reasons why our percentages are so low, why in the higher ranks, like generals and chiefs, why there's so few Asians. Um, Is it because they choose not to stay long enough to make those ranks, um, you know, trying to recruitment. So I'm tr- trying to go out there, you know, to the different communities and recruit. And we've talked about putting, you know, Asian figures, Asian service members out there to recruit members to enlist or to join ROTC because then they see individuals that look like themselves. And they're like, oh yeah, I could be, you know, I can be an Air Force officer too. I can, I can fly these jets and be a pilot. You know, fly a fighter jet. Um, you know, Top Gun. Now, the, the second Top Gun, this is not Air Force or Navy, but, you know, there's more minor, there's more um, minorities in Top Gun, the new one, as opposed to the one from the 80s. You know, that matters to, 
it matters to people when you can finally see somebody that looks like yourself. And like, I can do that as well. Yeah. Representation is totally important, right? Especially when you grew up with men. You know, I live in one of the most multicultural cities in the world and growing up here in the 90s, I live in Toronto, Canada. Um, But growing up here in the 90s, I never saw anybody that looked like me, you know, and I always wanted to have blonde hair and blue eyes, you know, name myself Heather, because I thought that's what being beautiful was. And, you know, I felt like I failed as a human being because I'm Asian instead of being something else, right? And so representation is very important because we need to see people like ourselves in the media to show us what's possible, right? Being able to see you as an Air Force officer, that is powerful. And I hope you understand like the kind of impact you're creating right now. And you're setting this path for other women, especially Asian women, to see uh, what's possible for themselves. And you know, with with um, the Air Force being able to create these different um, resources that you mentioned, has it has it made that impact? I'm just curious. You know, there's a lot of companies there that do have these resources, but sometimes, you know, it's just you see it, but you don't like you see it, but you don't really see it. If that makes sense. <laughs> no, it does. And yeah, you know, the resources that the Air Force has, you know, obviously our biggest main um, goal and objective is, you know wars and fighting overseas and protecting our country and all that. So um, there are times where DNI gets put in the back, you know, in the background because that's not the main priority. But um, I've talked to so many service members who have been in for a long time. And, you know, they do say that this is the most that the Air Force has cared about inclusivity and representation, um, which is great. So this past May was API Heritage Month. And so I actually led that for the Air Force with you know, two other individuals, led that for the Air Force. And the biggest thing, um, the mainstream, the main event from that month that we put together that I was extremely proud of was this panel of senior leaders in the military that were all APIs. So the undersecretary of the Air Force is actually a Filipina a female, um, Filipina female, which is amazing. Obviously, we've never seen that. And then on the panel was also a two-star general and a one-star general, both Asians, one's a fighter pilot. And then we had a chief, you know, Hawaiian and Polynesian. And then we had an, a senior civilian who is also from Hawaii. So seeing all that in a panel and then listening to them talk about how they came up in the ranks, you know, especially in the time you know, before me, where it was a lot more difficult to be heard, a lot more difficult to um have to represent like they're doing now and they went through all of that and now they are in the highest positions of the air force and it's it's pretty touching to see it was very i know i got a lot of great kudos from that panel and just very inspiring from the younger service members who never thought that they would see that i love that and you know it's it's great um to be able to see like an all asian uh panel right api panel right being able to show them what's possible being able to realize they can do more than just enlisting um, so I really love that. Um, but I, I'd like to go a little bit back, you know, especially like your upbringing. You mentioned you come from a military family. Um, what was it like growing up, you know, in a military fa- family? Um, so actually, so I was so I was born in the Philippines mm-hmm. and my I don't know my biological father. So I was born um, as young as I can remember. My father that raised me, Bobby Whitlock, um, he is the father that I know, has been my father since I was one. But he was a Vietnam veteran, you know, typical story, met my mother overseas. Um, and what's funny, my sister and my brother are nine, you know, they're nine and 12 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And so when he first met my mother, um, just kind of assumed that I was actually their cousin. 
And so he adopted my brother and my sister. And so the four of them, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, you know, adopted uh, the two of them. And they kind of went around the world and traveled and all this. So there's have photo albums with just the four of them. And then later, you know, he adopted me when I got older because I was you know, just very much an infant in the Philippines. Um, so he adopted me. And then we lived in the Philippines for a while. And I grew up there and never didn't even know what the military was, no thought of it. Um, went to the States when I was nine, lived there for three more years. And so kind of back and forth. But then when my brother and sister reached the age where they could enlist, you know, they were kind of trying to figure out what to do with their lives. And my dad was a huge influence because, you know, said he spent 20 years in the military, flew C-130s in Vietnam. And so they both decided to enlist in, um, in the Air Force. And my brother just retired recently a couple of years ago. And my sister is now very successful out in Las Vegas. Um, and so when it was my turn, I didn't go, I didn't enlist, go down that path. I went to college instead, but there was that big pull because, you know, I've seen what you know the United States was able to provide for me and my family. And I don't take that for granted. And, um, you know, my culture, my cultural background as a Filipino woman, you know, that's always going to be my, you know, my who, and that's the forefront of my values and my, just who I am, but my patriotism to the United States is kind of my why and why, you know, I do what I do. And so, yeah, even after being a crime scene investigator and obviously that, that excitement of that, that pull was just too strong enough that I wanted to serve and serve as an officer. And yeah. So I could be in that position where I can influence and lead and, you know. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, it's crazy what happens when we have that influence on our families, right? Being able to show them, you know, the benefits of it, how we can serve our country. And it's, it's hard to, you know, being an Asian person living in America, you know, we can even, you, you, sometimes you can't even say you're American because they're like, but you're, you're not, you know, you're not white. <laughs> um, I yeah. don't know if you've ever gotten that or um, especially oh, with the sure. rise, especially with the rise of like stop Asian hate. Right. I mean, we've seen, especially in mm -hmm. Asian women, we've seen a huge, um, increase in the rise against violence of Asian women. I don't know if that's something that the Air Force has, has dealt with too within, right, just the racism, the, the you know, like, especially during the pandemic. Is that something you've, you were able to notice or address even? Because like, I know there's parts of the states, you know, where women, Asian women are lining up eight hours just to get pepper spray because they need to protect themselves. Yeah, so during the pandemic, not um, I didn't really see anything overly egregious within the Air Force that you know they addressed. But they Air Force is definitely addressing racism in its ranks. That's um, they're definitely taking it seriously, and it's um, you know even up until the government, there's executive orders that are now um, actually discussing you know racism, violence against Asians. So it is definitely you know you can tell that it was definitely being recognized. It's definitely being addressed. Um, maybe not to the lengths that we would like it yet, but um, we're finally getting to the forefront and getting having our voices heard for sure. Thanks so much for sharing that. I know sometimes, you know, we want to see change right away, um, but sometimes, you know, being able to address that and just taking things step by step, at least it's going to the right direction, right? Being able to address these issues that we've been going through, especially in our community, especially, you know, just the Stop Asian Hate Movement and what's been going on. You know, every day we still hear, um, stories, right, where our, our, you know, when we hear like a father and her daughter biking and they both got punched, you know, because of a racial crime, you know, it really breaks my heart, especially when 
you hear it's a five-year-old girl. Imagine the trauma that she has to go through just to um, overcome that and realize, you know, why was I targeted? What did I do wrong, right? And at that time, she probably doesn't even know what racism is, right? Um, so it's really important. Also, I wanted to, I guess, um, get really have like, you know, just a bit curious too with the Air Force when it comes to mental health, right? Mental health is huge, right? Um, especially during the pandemic, mental health has been a hot topic, right? Because the pandemic really tested us, right? Like how we cope with our mental health. And especially in the Air Force, I'm sure you guys go through so many like crazy things, right? Um, does the Air Force provide like different programs? Do they have an in-house therapist? Like what do they do to, um, you know, ma- help you maintain, you know, like a, a healthy mental health well-being? So the Air Force has mental health technicians at every base. That is something that they are pushing on um, mental health and resiliency. So there's different training days for for resiliency to just kind of build on those pillars, you know, your your spiritual pillar, your physical and all that to just make sure that we are all kind of strong airmen. But um, unfortunately, there is a shortage of mental health technicians in, in the military, the Air Force at least for sure. So that is, a, that is an issue that they're addressing. Um, there are initiatives for to address those things, but um, I, I have spoken to mental health um, I think we're stemming away from the stigma of seeing, you know, therapists or mental health technicians. I know um, the military, that, that used to be a stigma to, hey, go see mental health. You're not strong or you're not, you know, especially men, you know, you're not strong. And so it was looked down as almost a career ender if you, because it was almost as if you were admitting that something's wrong with you or that something is, you know, that you're not, doesn't make you a good soldier, doesn't make you a good airman. But we have definitely gone away from that and our current military leaders are pushing for people to you know really take care of your mental health because it's just as emotion just as important as your emotional and physical well-being you know the military is synonymous with doing a lot of physical fitness and push-ups and sit-ups and being strong and doing all this and pull-ups but we don't do as much to take care of our mental health so we do have technicians at every base we have you know programs that even to deal with um, when uh, it's called ADAPT for alcoholism or drug dependency and all that to make sure that service members get the proper help that they need. We have um, 24-7 you know, call lines called Military One Source where members can call in and you know, just get the help they need anytime to talk to somebody because um, that's PTSD, you know, combat stress, and, you know, just the unfortunate kind of trend with, the um, suicides that the military has been seeing recently. So our military leaders are definitely taking that seriously and trying to address it properly. I love that. I love that they're able to take this, um, you know, this, this like mental health, taking it really seriously, right? Like you mentioned, because yeah, like PTSD is, is prevalent, right? Especially when you discharge from the military or the air force. And then like, you know, you got to start all over again. You're not sure what you do. And then you know, you, you see something that triggers you, right? I mean, and, and that happens more too often. And this is why it's so important to work on our mental health, when mental health, you know, mental well-being, um, mind and body has to be connected so we, we can be become the best version of ourselves. So I'm glad that there are steps to going in the right direction. I think this episode, I've learned a lot about the Air Force and the things that they are doing, the initiatives they're creating to make it more inclusive and also, you know, 
take care of our mental health being. So I'm really glad that you were able to share all that. But my last question is, you know, especially for our AANHPI listeners who want a career in the military or the Air Force, and now they they hear you, right, and say, I want to be a boss like her. I want to be an officer. What are (laughs) like some words of wisdom you would give to them to, you know, even start that journey? So what I would say is, you know, don't ever let anything hold you back. That's been kind of my biggest thing is along the way, things will definitely hold you back, whether it's, you know, external influences, whether it's people putting you down, whether it's your own fear of failure, whether it's your, you know, just insecurities, just don't let anything get in the way of what you want and really go after it. Like I said earlier, you know, let the world tell you no, that you can't do something. Because I do truly, truly believe that we have enough strength and power inside of us to go after what we want. Um, and you know, we should never stop for that. So what I'm doing now, what folks before me are doing now, this is merely small stepping stones into bigger things. And people that will come after me in the military, you know, they will be laying, we're just simply laying out a foundation. Um, and so I urge folks that want to join the military or any career field really that, you know, may not be atypical or may not be typical of, you know, their family, what's been laid out for them or, you know, what society expects from them, you know, don't let that bother you. The, there's so much room in the military for growth, for representation, for, you know, we are very much still not where we need to be with diversity, um, inclusion and representation. And so I, I just, I really, I just urge people to just go after it. And, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of role models that look like me in the military. And so I just hope that this next generation of people, they see this growing and that just kind of inspire them. And any, I just want to be part of that. And so, yeah. I love it. Those are some great tips that you mentioned. I know sometimes it's easier said than done, right? But it really takes, you know, confidence for us to go out there and, you know, make the first step, make the first move, especially as Asian women. You know, we've been raised to, you know, never make any noise, stay in the background, do as you're told. (laughs) And so it, we have to unblock, you know, or unprogram so many things that we're taught in, in our own culture. Um, And so that's why it's so great to see someone like you um, be able to forge that path for others, right? Not just for um, Asian women or, you know, Pacific Islander, but, you know, even men, right? There's probably some men there too who are probably scared too, right? Because, I mean, there's so many negative stereotypes we go by, right? And these negative stereotypes always hurt us thinking that, oh, Asian people are fine. They don't need any help. And realizing like these numbers are very low. We need to create more representation. We need to have more people in leadership and in office and, um, you know, just keep elevating each other so that, you know, we are taken seriously. We are seen in a different light versus our negative stereotypes. So I'm, I'm so glad you are here today to share your story. You know, you have such an amazing story. You went from crime scene investigator to the Air Force. I mean, <laughs> that is totally not typical for an Asian woman. Definitely not a total, definitely not a career path that is um, typical. So, you know, I think it's really cool that you're able to do that. Um, and if our listeners wanted to connect with you, want to learn more about joining the Air Force or even wanting to learn more of how they can be an officer, um, where can they connect with you? Um, so they can connect with me on Facebook. It is you know, Joanne Whitlock. 
Um, I do believe my URL is actual Joanne Whitlock not seven. I don't know, remember the exact number. And I'm also on LinkedIn, Joanne Whitlock. My face in an Air Force uniform is right there. Uh, so, so yeah, please, I'd love to chat with anybody. I'm all about networking and really learning more stories from folks, um, especially when it comes to just empowering APIs. So I love connecting with everybody. So yes, hit me up. I'd love to talk Air Force. I'd love to talk API things and anything else, personally, professionally. So I love it. I'll definitely connect with you on LinkedIn. Yes, <laughs> <And> please, please. <laughs> so again, I really want to thank Joanne Whitlock for joining us today. To learn more about Joanne, visit her Facebook or LinkedIn. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, we'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with a voice through media arts. If you would like to support our program and make a donation, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Sheena Yat-Chan. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio show. Until then, take care, everyone. Thank you.